0: This is episode five of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Wow, I'm so excited and honored to be interviewing a real powerhouse, trailblazing woman today, Dr. Jacqueline R. Henningsen. I love to meet women who have made a lifetime of writing their dreams. And Dr. Henningsen, who's in her 70s, has had one heck of a ride when it comes to writing your dreams, and she's certainly not done yet. Jackie passionately believes that age is not a restrictor, class is not a restrictor, and gender is not a restrictor. Jackie's had an extraordinary career path to share with us today that has taken her from a teacher at a public school to top-ranking positions in the U.S. government. She is a retired member of the Senior Executive Service and currently is an independent consultant and advisor in the areas of professional and educational development, applied analytics, risk management, and STEM opportunities. She retired from the U.S. Air Force in 2014, where she was responsible to the Secretary and Chief of Staff. Over the course of her career, she has served six United States Air Force chief of staffs as the principal advisor and leader of Air Force decision support analysis. Jackie focused on helping senior leadership fireproof their decisions with a solid analytic body of work grounded in scientific fundamentals. Her expertise and knowledge lent quality to a span of areas ranging from nuclear deterrence joint war fighting assessment to risk management. As a civilian, she has achieved the equivalent to a three-star general. And over the course of her career, she received two Department of Defense Distinguished Civilian Service Awards in 2001 and 2009. She also received the Meritorious Executive Rank Award in 2005 and was recognized with the Presidential Distinguished Executive Rank Award in 2012. So talk about a trailblazing woman doing epic things in her life. I'm so honored to have you on Extraordinary Women Radio today, Jackie. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. So when we first met, you shared with me a poem that had been given to you as a young girl. And I'm going to share a bit of that poem with our Extraordinary Women Radio audience because I think it has a particularly important message One day, through the primeval wood, a calf walked home, as good calves should, but made a trail all bent askew, a crooked trail as all calves do. Since then, three hundred years have fled, and I infer the calf is dead, but still he left behind his trail, and thereby hangs my moral tale. Now, I'm not going to read you this full poem by Sam Walter Foss. The story unfolds over the course of 3,000 years where dogs and sheep and horses and man follow the course of this crooked trail. And eventually, the poem ends with this last section. One day, a hundred thousand route followed the zigzag calf about. And o'er his crooked journey went, the traffic of a continent. A hundred thousand men were led by one calf near three centuries dead. They followed still his crooked way and lost one hundred years a day. For men are prone to go it blind along the calf's path of the mind and work away from sun to sun to do what other men have done. They follow in the beaten track and out and in and forth and back and still their devious course pursue to keep the path that others do. They keep the path a sacred groove along which all their lives they move. But how the wise old wood God's laugh who saw the first primeval calf. Ah, many things this tale might teach, but I am not ordained to preach. Jackie, I love you this love it? <laughs> Yeah, isn't it awesome? Yeah, it's an awesome. So, tell us why this has stayed with you for so many years. How did this shape some of this important choices of your life? What's What's tell us the story behind it.
1: Do you know, the really uh, interesting thing about when coming across this poem was it uh, matched something that I've done my whole life. I took a class and it was a Saturday class and it had absolutely nothing to do with my major. I was when I was in an undergraduate school and it was an art for uh, young children class and I had heard that this instructor was wonderful and I just, you know, love anybody where there's somebody that's wonderful. You know, you've got to go see what's what's wonderful about them. Right. So one Saturday morning I took this class and that's what he started the class with and then he showed us how much he could learn about young children by watching the stage of their artistic uh, pictures. You know, how did they draw their family? Who was holding hands? It was very psychological. And I was very interested in psychology and ended up with an undergraduate uh, um, minor in psychology as well. So uh, when he read that poem, it just went, oh my gosh, that just says so much. And through the years, it has stayed with me. This idea that people really, unless they carefully think about what they're doing, they will tend to just follow the easy path. Right. And and when I came across things that seemed a little different or that uh, might lead a different way, I really consciously struck out to take those paths uh, and look for what was a groove and what was a journey. And uh, so this... Uh, really is something that has inspired me my whole life
0: right and you think about when I look at your journey which I was from the very moment we met um, I I felt like your journey was just so inspiring um, you started out as a teacher you you took you found your way into those top Um, top executive offices of the US government. Um, So you certainly had to take some really different paths along the way to make some different choices, route your own trail in a way that was just not following everyone else.
1: Mm -hmm. And some of it, uh, and as I'll talk about a little later, it's not always conscious. I call it uh, pulling threads. It's kind of like you look up at the sky or the universe or whatever it may be, and you'll see a a thread hanging there, and you give it a little light tug to see, you know, what is that? And just like going to a class with somebody that I don't know anything about, that little light tug uh, connects you. It kind of hooks you, and you kind of follow that little path and look around at where it may take you, and... Find that it's a whole different place than you expect it to be, but equally inspiring and wonderful if you just, you know, take that step and pull that thread.
0: And how, how do you know that that's a thread to follow? What's, what's the, the is, it, is it intuition? I mean, what, what's inside of you that says, you know, that's a thread that I'm interested in?
1: You know, I think that part of it is that it resonates with my patience. Okay. And my passions are about you know the logical thinking, the analytic thinking, but they also are about uh, adventure, reaching out, finding new things, uh, and new ways to use my personal talents and So when something resonates that way, uh, and then the other thing that as I'll tell many people that I'm advising or giving career advice. Uh, there really isn't a wrong thread to pull unless it's illegal or immoral, right? Uh, and and the really thing is that once you pull it lightly and it kind of hooks you, then it's a matter of living or taking it or embracing it passionately. Uh, so there is no menial job. There is no time that uh, what you do doesn't have the potential. To reveal something uh, very amazing to you, uh, even in the smallest things, you can find extraordinary, you know, linkages. You know, uh-huh. just calling you this summer, last summer, turned out to be a wonderful serendipitous thing. Right. And I called you. We didn't end up being able to get together, but the link was, oh, here's a woman who is leading a very passionate life. And it's based around her love and understanding of horses. I love that. I want to meet this woman. And it was, it was like a little thread that we pulled. And I ended up in the other part of the state, so we never met. But we've, uh, you know, developed a relationship and a friendship through the common interests that came because I just pulled this little thread.
0: I love that. And I love that. I love the way people come into each other's lives. And if if we're just open to being curious, open to um, wanting to know a little bit more, and um, the experiences, I just always find that people come into each other's lives for reasons. And um, always believe that there's, there's no accidental meeting. So I, I love that.
1: Mm, I completely agree with you. Uh, there is a kind of a saying about you have friends of the road and friends of the heart. And there is an implication that the friends of the heart who are the enduring long time relationships are so much more important as though you can lower the value of the friends of the road But I look at it differently. The friends, the road, are the spice, the seasoning, the uh, the developing factors in your life, and they are the ones, and you've heard this from Buddhist uh, mythology background, Uh, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Uh, I couldn't believe that more. At every point of my life, at a time when I needed someone to inspire me to guide me to caution me they appeared I didn't always know that they were appearing but they did and some became friends of the heart long time relationships and some of them were there just briefly ah. uh like the art teacher right. who has touched me my whole life and I knew him for one morning right
0: Right, and this, the, the poem has carried forward for you for all those years. So that, that's fantastic. And it's, the, the universe just certainly provides for us in whatever unique ways that we need. So I, I, I believe that so much as well. So tell me a little bit about what it was like as a woman breaking through the ceiling to a top executive office in the Pentagon. I mean, that just had to be an incredible journey. Tell us about that journey.
1: So we went to Omaha, uh, to a larger school system, uh, one of the top school systems in nebraska, and um, again, same pattern, doing more, but I began to notice the women were not young women students were dropping out uh-huh. you know as my classes were all equal sized I mm-hmm. taught an algebra one class or a geometry class, but by they the
0: weren 't carrying forward
1: the, the women dropping part. out and by calculus. There was maybe one or two women in the whole class. Uh, interesting. What do you think uh, that is? It really was a lot about society, you know, the expectation. Uh, don't worry, you're pretty little head about this math stuff. You don't need that. Mm. Uh, you know, I I was never any good at math. Uh, I don't expect my daughter to be any good at math. Uh, messages, signals. The thing that I found that was completely Surprising, as I begin to touch on it, though, was it wasn't as though the young men were better at math or even loved it more. It was that they saw it as part of their journey and that they needed, they had a recognition of needing a certain level of capability in something to go on and do what they really wanted to do. Right. And so they kind of took on the pain and didn 't judge themselves with it, the young women, if they didn 't get a 's in their classes, they dropped out. they used it. they personally judged themselves saying i 'm not, not good at this i 'm not good at this i 've got to get out of here you know yeah. it wasn 't even at that point i 'm ruining my grade point average it was i 'm uncomfortable, therefore i won 't do it okay and uh,
0: and you got passionate yeah. about changing that didn 't you
1: I absolutely did, and so starting up another Paths along the way. I started a, a Title IV program that worked on math anxiety and it happened to connect at the particular time in the country with a lot of that, this, the mid-70s uh, interest in math anxiety what it was doing for preventing women from going into non-traditional careers and uh, so I linked with an, a national network and our work you know, fed into that. I began to attend a lot of conferences and this is where this is like a turning point what I did beyond just the program and working and talking and uh, put together presentations that I put on radio and uh, that type of thing uh, I also wanted to demonstrate what I meant to the students and so I said you know I can take the curriculum from a college and I can take any class in this curriculum because I've got math and science. And they kind of like, you can do what? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sign up for, you know, two classes this semester. I think I'll take, uh, I think one year I took statics and dynamics, mm-hmm. which was, you know, in the physics and uh, that arena. Uh, and so I was doing that, and then I took a course in optimization, which is uh, a area of mathematics uh, that at that time was – in our particular University of Nebraska system was under the industrial engineering program. Uh, it's also in business and others. And I took that class and it was like, dang, (laughs) this is what I want. This is what I am really passionate about. This is what I've been tracking all these years. How do you optimize whatever you're working on? How do you get more out of scarce resources? How do you minimize risk? Uh, those things all resonated with me. And so I already had a master's in math education. Uh, the University of Nebraska asked me to work because of my work with women. To, uh, they offered me the opportunity to get a PhD while I taught there and worked on the, uh, uh, let's see, it was the University President's Council on Women, for the University of Nebraska, and uh, I accepted. So I had to take a little pay cut, actually, from teaching, high school teaching, Mm -hmm. but I got this wonderful opportunity. I got to go back to school. Uh, I was teaching three classes and taking three classes each semester and driving 100 miles a day. And uh, So it was a little pain, a little stress. I had to put myself out but it was a wonderful thread to pull. And so you uh, started
0: doing some really critical problem-solving analysis there that you mm -hmm. were eventually able to be doing um, in in the U.S. Air Force where you're you're solving um, very big problems for our nation.
1: Mm -hmm. It uh, it fit together. It was like, uh, again, I had no idea what path I was on. It wasn't like I've got this goal. Which I don't have anything there's nothing wrong with people having goals and saying I want to become a lawyer and going for it But I certainly didn't have that. I just loved learning I was enthralled with the idea that I got to work on this degree towards this area that I loved which is called operations research by the way and uh, I began to meet people these friends of the road friends of the heart uh, in my classes that were from strategic air command in Omaha Mm -hmm. And they were taking night courses and some of my courses were at night. And so I've met them. And uh, so I'm rolling along here, never really thinking about the fact that some point this program is going to end. I'm going to have my PhD. And then the question is, Oh, okay. So now do you go back and become a high school teacher again? Or what do you do? Right. And uh, there was not a real con, you know, I was living in the moment very much. (laughs) Uh, But At one point along the way, I worked with a woman, her name is Paula Wells. Paula, uh, she and her husband have raised or adopted over a dozen children, uh, some special needs children, but she's an industrial engineer because they have their own company in Omaha. And I worked for her part-time, kind of got the sense of, okay, what does that job look like? And I uh, went to get a summer intern uh, Strategic Air Command, again, never expecting to do anything except get a chance to try out my new skills. Uh, the man who hired me, who's still a dear friend at Strategic Air Command, uh, told me when I said, I don't even know, you know, anything about airplanes or military or any of that stuff. Right. Said, so you're, okay.
0: you're stepping into a role where you don't know some, you don't know <laughs> the details,
1: Right. <laughs> right. And uh, definitely still a very male-dominated right. Area, Absolutely, so, uh, but he said, "Hey, look, you're not marrying the job. You're just taking the job and see how it goes. And maybe after the summer, you don't want to do it." But, and it so just, that was that
0: thread that you grabbed
1: a hold of, right? I grabbed it. I pulled it. I went, and it and, stuck. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you have wrapped a rope around my waist and just whoosh, pulled you up into it. Me up. Oh, that's awesome. That is so
0: awesome. And so, you know, when you think about um, that journey, as you stepped up into it, it must have been that you just kept working through the problems, grabbing those threads, you know, working more problems and people seeing your brilliance that you were bringing Mm -hmm. to the table that that raised you up. Is that true?
1: Well, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a partnership type of thing. It's like, I knew this area well, I mean, I w- the operations research right. uh, area, I knew well, and I knew how to apply it. They had problems that they didn't have solutions to or ways to address. Uh, they did have an OR department, so there was people that were of that mindset. So they started me out working on problems that others had worked on. Right. Uh, but very quickly, I began to just look around, <laughs> pulling the threads again, and I will call it wander around the building and talking to people found that there were all kinds of problems and all kinds of areas that could use the application of optimization and this logical work that I knew how to bring technically right. to the problem. And so it started with uh, very straightforward things where I would uh, partner with an expert, a military expert and myself, and uh, one of the early problems was uh, the fact that um, the um, Air Force had had a series of accidents with uh, aircraft accidents, and although there had been boards that had determined what the cause was, the Chief of Staff, of the, or the Commander-in-Chief of the uh, Strategic Air Command was not comfortable that they really understood what was going on. And me, with my psychological background, my operations research background, I'd had a lot of work doing surveys and that uh, technical aspects of building surveys, uh, he asked for a different, deeper look. And I happened to be the one that got the call and partnered with uh, some, again, experts in the aircraft and we developed a way of looking at the question that dug a lot deeper into what were some of the uh, underlying causes. We actually, in the end, there was many things going on, but one of the things we uh, were able to change was the difference between the charts that were being used, or you might call them the maps, were being used by the pilots and by the navigators. There was actually, it seems incredible now, but they were using different maps for reasons that were seemingly appropriate, but were, you know, the devil on uh, communication. And uh, so that whole thing came out of a lot of travel around the country, talking to young uh, flyers. Uh, It was this wonderful opportunity to, to say, travel the world, and talk to people. And, and, and you
0: were a, a woman in a very male-dominated industry, I'm I'm assuming.
1: Very much. And, uh, you know, uh, I still tell people, don't, don't assume that you don't have to dress for the job. Uh, you know, some people want to fight that. And I guess if you're in the fashion industry, you know, fight all you want. But if you're uh, aspiring to be a professional, then expect, don't get left, what people expect to see get in the way of your ability to deliver. So if they expect to see a professional person dress like a professional person, uh, show, show that, you're, um, that you understand the job that you're uh, aspiring to or that you're in. Right. And so I started out with gray suits and floppy ties.
0: Right. Oh, I still remember those. And I, and I, and I um, back in the day, the you know just in the, my old corporate days, the things that I wore, um, and and you know what? It's interesting. I think that there's actually a shift happening. I think that there's there's that women can't that you know trailblazers like you were, um, were you had to show up in a really you know strong um, almost masculine presence in, in situations like that. Is that true?
1: Yeah. You didn't have to, I never went to the route of, okay, I have to be a yelling screaming or any of those right. type of stereotypes, mm-hmm. but I always, what, uh, again, I said, don't let myself, don't let me get in my own way. Right. So right. how I look, should not get in the way of what I can do. Right. Right. There's only so much you can do about how you look. I mean you can we as women we've got lots of opportunities to do makeup and haircuts and all of those kind of things. But you don't want those things to become a distraction.
0: Right, right. You
1: know, one of the stories I love is that my mother in law the lovely lady uh, was so upset because she wanted me to have a red suit and she couldn't understand why I couldn't wear a red suit to work. <laughs> and she said, You know, you're just, you've got this red suit, you're lovely in it, why don't you wear it to work? And so when I finally, I'll call it, got over the barrier into the executive level, by then times were changing, but also I developed a persona. Uh, a persona that I was passionate about analysis and the way that I was going to tell people that is that they would see me in red and so 20 years later I was able to develop uh, the expectation that although professional they would see me in red and so uh bless her I think about every time I wear a red suit or red anything because I love that the the young folks call me the lady in red that's
0: (laughs) fantastic and so it's it what I love about that is is that yes you know in those early early days it didn't feel I mean it just it would have been a really hard thing for you to have shown up with but over the course of your career you got to this place of just being comfortable in your own skin it's like and yes I can wear red while I'm doing this Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the shift. And I think it's it's you know I, I'm very thankful for trailblazers like you that did that early work, so that today women can really step up and be who they are as a leader, and and let their leadership style not style but leadership um, who they are as a leader really shine through them um, mm-hmm. authentically. And I think because of the the, the beautiful work that um, you know women have done over the course of of our lives it's, it's shifting and changing. And I think there's, there's lots of open space for it, but I love your rich suit. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. It's it's been uh, very interesting because I'll, if I'm at a conference and I'm talking to a whole room full of people, I'll say, and I'm wearing red because, and then they'll come back because you're passionate about analysis. And the crowd all knows it.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) So So that's become part of who you are.
1: It's my persona, right? It's who I am. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And
0: and would you say that it's, it's who you are at your very core? I mean, like inside that inside out that, that the red suit really fits you.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't turn around and say, okay, you're a GS 11 or nine and you should develop a, you know, come in and say, I'm doing this at that point. Again, don't get in your own way. Right. Right. Um,
0: So tell me about a defining time or situation that forever shaped your life.
1: Um, you know, perhaps the, um, yeah, I had them. been with the Strategic Air Command for uh, six years when they had a major reorganization of the Air Force and the whole, you know, whole nation. And the Strategic Air Command in Omaha was changed to a command that uh, was not just the Air Force. Uh, it was completely reorganized. You hear a lot about government reorganization. This was a major government reorganization. I was a GS-15 at the time, I had been promoted very, very quickly. Uh, of course, I already had, you know, 20 years of teaching and leadership in different areas behind me, So, but you still had to come into the government at the lowest rung right. that uh, you qualified for in terms of your education. So with a PhD, I came in at a GS-9, uh, went to 11, 12, 13 14 and 15, very quickly. So by 1991, I was, this still is astonishing to me to think about. Uh, I was the most senior woman in the strategic air command. Mm -hmm. Strategic air command uh, at the time had 150,000 people. Wow. Uh, We were starting to get more and more women, uh, military women as well. But at that point, That, uh, again, I was the highest ranking woman in 150,000 member command uh, with six years of experience in that area. Um, It was a lot of timing uh, and then a lot of attention to detail and working with uh, people on the problems that they were trying to solve. But what happened was the reorganization got rid of all the jobs that were. GS-15s, uh-huh. got rid of all of the senior executive jobs, which I would have been aspiring, beginning to aspire to at that point, in Omaha at the Strategic Air Command. And we were put under what's known as a reduction in force, a RIF. Uh, yep. And so I was, at this point, my husband's teaching full-time, has been for over 25 years, uh, is... Uh, well into his career, Uh, but there is no job for me in Omaha at the level that I am at. Uh, I could have taken a reduction in grade and uh, that was a possibility. Uh, The job that I had was moved to Langley, Virginia, which (laughs) where's Langley? (laughs) I mean, I certainly knew, but i 'm just saying it was nothing on our radar scope, right. and so I thought, you know, if i 'm going to go on with this career, I need to go to the Pentagon, okay. and because that 's where kind of all roads
0: <laughs> all upward roads lead to the Pentagon, right,
1: lead to the Pentagon or cross through the Pentagon at least, and i hadn 't done that. Uh, I was at the time uh, at a program for uh, senior officials in national security at Harvard. Uh, At the John F. Kennedy School, it was one of the things that they sent us to as a development program. So I was rubbing elbows with people from all the services at the similar grade level I was. And I guess I should have known it, but I kind of was surprised to find that I was very comfortable with people from all the services, all experiences, military, civilian. I mean, I knew it from my own command, but this gave me a different look at it. And the academic uh, part gave me a chance to s- sit back and kind of contemplate. And I decided I wanted to go forward. And that meant that moving. choice. Now, this Man is a moving. choice for my husband and I, not just right. myself. Yeah. And we talked about it a lot. And he was, has always been incredibly supportive. And he said, we can make this work. Yeah. And we ended up, uh, he had a teaching contract. He stayed for another year in Omaha. But the nice part of it was then they gave him a sabbatical. So it was kind of like we had two-year safety net. Yeah. (laughs) Which sometimes is a nice thing to have when you're kind of uprooting your life. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Our son was already grown and married by this point. So there's your
0: adventure to Virginia. There's my new adventure. Yeah. So how did that feel when you're, you know, when you say, okay, I'm doing, I'm going for it. I'm really, you know, making this choice. How did that
1: feel? You know, it was a little bit of fear, but very exciting. You know, I was sitting, uh, when I got ready to drive out the door, Carl had gone to work that morning. I got in my car. I'm sitting in front of our house that we had lived in for 25 years by that point. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just thinking, I'm pulling out the door, and we're selling this house, you know, 25 years is behind us now, and... I'm driving off into the sunset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind it's, of what it felt like.
0: And you know, what I love about that is, is the, um, you know, so it's so important for us to really realize that sometimes when we get these things, you know, the reduction and force, or riff, which I, by the way, I despise the word reduction and reduction in force because <laughs> no. it's, it's, it's so dehumanizing. There's nothing. And it's like, it's, it's, it, they, I think they choose riff because it, it doesn't, you can't really picture the the, the people associated with it. Yeah. Uh, I was part of a riff several years ago when I left my corporate job to, to do and where it, you know, it led me down this journey to doing what I do today. When i you know, which I'm on my, you know, my path of what I'm supposed to be doing. So sometimes those pivotal moments in our life where there's something comes down that seems really devastating at the time because a riff can seem very, very devastating um but what um what unfolded for you um and like my journey was it took you to this whole new place this whole new experience that you would have never gotten to had it had that not happened is that true
1: you are so right you know it's to me uh, just as you were saying that it's to me it's like a flower opening yeah you have been sitting inside this flower bud and i would have been s- safe and happy. And I probably would have got a little bored and then, you know, at some point and started doing other stuff. So something would have happened uh, with the job or something, but instead it's like the flower opened up and there is this whole world out there. And it was a new world. And I'm in the Pentagon and I'm walking the halls and I'm got a portfolio of business that, I mean, you just, uh, the thing that I went into was like, quite amazing. Uh, right. uh, the, um,
0: what does it feel like the very first day that you walk the halls of the Pentagon when you got there?
1: Uh, it was just overwhelmingly, uh, you know, just like mouth open <laughs> right. type of thing. And then they gave me my portfolio and uh, you can't believe this portfolio. I got my portfolio because I've been a strategic air command was the space launch and, uh, strategic, uh, Weapon Systems portfolio in the cost analysis program. Now, I had not been a cost analyst before, but they said, well, you're an operations research analyst. You can figure it out.
0: So. <laughs> Here's <laughs> oh, the folders. That'll... Take them and just go figure this out and let us Yo, know what you think, right? <laughs> yeah, and
1: there's people around here who will help you, which there were. They were wonderful. But yeah. um, this is my portfolio. I've got to get it ready to present to the decision authority uh, who's going to decide whether to let a program, one of the big programs I was working on was called the Titan IV missile. Titan IV missile is the missile that launches rockets into space. And the program was being uh, costed for the, uh, out in the open for the first time. It had come out of the black world. And uh, so I had to go trace all the money that it had been spent. They put a lot of money into it after the Challenger blew up. Right. And so, because it was our only access to space. And so lots of money went in there and they were now, okay, let's figure out what all this money was. And that's when I took over. Okay. It ended up, I had to make a cost estimate on the program. And I had a team to work on different parts of it for me and with me. And we came up with it being a $37 billion program. That was our estimate. Wow. And the Air Force at the time said it was a thirty-two billion dollar program. So now I've got to build the evidence and show why the Department of Defense should expect and ask for a thirty-seven billion dollar program. So trying to figure out where, you know, show them why it's five billion dollars more. And this was my first introduction. My this was my first portfolio in the Pentagon.
0: And when you um, think about Standing in your power, asking you know for that extra five billion dollars mm-hmm.
1: yeah, <laughs> what what was day. it
0: that in you that um, what came through you what were the the leadership the 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 essence of you that came through that that moment when you stood up and you were you were doing that ask what what shi- what was shining through you
1: oh uh, leader the Uh, knowledge that you have to be prepared to defend what you're saying, not just, you can't just say something. You really have to have your facts and they have to be right. When you're spending money like that and you're uh, investing in technical issues like that, you really have to have your act together. Mm -hmm. And so, I worked, um, I guess it was lucky that Carl was gone that first year because I worked incredibly uh, many times through the night, you know, just being sure that everything that we'd done, we had to go out to all the contractors. They had to explain their program in more detail than they'd ever explained. Uh, It's just part of the business, but I was learning so much. And I laugh sometimes. I tell the folks, you know, out in the courtyard of the Pentagon is a – an open area that's very beautiful with trees and bushes and uh, things there, benches, and luckily, because I had a tree that was my favorite tree, and I used to commune with that tree when it got too rough. Oh, that's fantastic, (laughs) because...
0: (laughs) You uh, you got out to nature, right? So what did that tree offer to you? Yeah,
1: just a little bit of solace, a little remembrance of, uh, okay, back when you were a kid, you used to sit in the tree-lined front yard, (laughs) and it was very, very... soothing and you knew that all was going to be well and now okay all is well now get back to work
0: <laughs> oh that and that's so, that's so important for all of us to find those places those touch tones in our touch touch in our life right. that we can really reground ourselves in in those moments of difficulty in those moments of of you know i've got to really pull up my pants here and really, you know, be all that I can be, be, you know, that courageous you and, and having something like that, a touchdown like that tree, like that, you know, what it stood for, for you, you know, even taking you back to your childhood can be so powerful. I, so I love that, you know, just as, you know, I I encourage our listeners to think about what's your touchdown, what is Mm -hmm. the place that fills you up that, that, gives you the strength that you need when you're going to go have those tough
1: conversations. Okay, so yeah, for sure. It's that. really very much so. You know, now I've I've kind of incorporated into a phraseology that I use for myself now, but back then I just kind of felt but now I tell myself, you know, breathe in god, breathe out life. And I can say that a few times to myself and just calm Whatever I'm thinking about and focus, it's calm and focus. That's yeah. what I need to do. Yeah, because if and, we get
0: uh, if we get wrapped up into all of the the frazzled energy, it doesn't serve us. The more that we mm-hmm. can find that that grounded spot for us.
1: You so know, one funny. other thing I wanted to mention okay. before we go on. You know, back when I was just uh, in uh, still at the uh, University of Nebraska and I was finishing my PhD, and there was another woman who was in the program with me. Uh, and she was in uh, studying her Ph.D. was in a similar area, but she was uh, to become later the head of the environmental program for or for Nebraska, for the uh, state of Nebraska. But at the time, we were both just turning 38 to 40, you know, it was in that age bracket. And I remember at one point she said to me, uh, after, I don't know, something or a group of young women had, we were trying to encourage them to come into the program. We were talking to them, and she had looked at me, and she said, Jackie, we just need to face it. Our glory days are over. And ah. another touchstone that has stayed with me, I thought, no, Ann, our glory days are not over. <laughs> So, maybe uh, you just you know, working my way through that riff with a little bit of no and.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're totally not over. And, and, and what you did after that point is so incredible. And, and, and now here you are, you're retiring in your 70s. And I know there's new things ahead of you, right?
1: Mm, yes, uh, there certainly are.
0: <laughs> so what, what, what goals do you have ahead of yourself, ahead of you right now?
1: You know, one of the goals I have, and I have been uh, working back and forth on it, but I'm having a little trouble because I'm so delighted with the time I have to read now. that <laughs> It's overwhelming me. I'm just read, 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 read. So the first year that I, after I retired, I read over 100 books. It was just like back to childhood. Oh, that's and fantastic. That's wonderful. But uh, one of the things I'm really interested in is, uh, how much like the societal impact on women about math anxiety back years ago that I was, you know, working on, is there an ageism uh, societal pressure that says at this age, I can't learn like I used to. I can't pick up new technology. I can't think the same way. I'm going to, you know, the gentle slide, into the future,
0: right? And uh, you're not you're not going for any general slide, are you?
1: No, I'm really not. Uh, again, I've uh, taken up uh, some of my uh, former the folks that used to work with me and that I maintain um, linkages with are people that are work at areas like at DARPA and uh, the Defense uh, uh, Agency that does a lot of the cutting edge work. And they have been sharing with me, not anything that anybody else can look at, but some of the different uh, techniques that we can look at to test our ability, even our young high school students' ability to think through uh, problems, technical problems. And you know they've got all kinds of uh, different competitions that are out there for young kids to see how attuned they are to cyber areas. And it's like little, you might call it little mathematical tests and things like that. So I've been uh, playing with those. Uh, I've taken some of them to uh, one of the undergraduate school programs that I'm working with and looked at, uh, okay, why don't we see how this particular program looks? And I'm really interested in, so how does it look if you have motivated seniors uh, work in these areas? Mm -hmm. Uh, through these, I'll call them the competitions of logical, technological thinking. Uh, Is there a a decline? I'm finding the interesting part probably isn't in the decline. It's uh, again about focus. I've got to commit myself to focus and uh, that uh, it isn't a focus that has to do with fuzziness. It's a focus of all the competing things that I'm, Inspired and want to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's which one to
1: choose, right? Yes. Right. So, how
0: are you choosing?
1: Um, well, I'm not choosing well for the cyber right now. <laughs> okay. I uh, am and and really quite, as, as I've always been, very interested in uh, you know working with development of young people and uh, people who are uh, aspiring in areas where it takes their technical background, their STEM background, and so. I find myself, if I've got the choice of me doing it, like working on a little technical area, coding or something like that, or me helping somebody else figure out how they can get into that area, uh, right now I lean more towards the helping others get into that area. So I continue to work a lot with uh, development of uh, young folks uh, in uh, educational forums. And, That's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: So what three pearls of wisdom as we wrap up today, can you leave our audience with?
1: I think uh, there are many that I could choose, but I just, as I was thinking about your question, I think it Mm -hmm. comes around the word believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first one I'd say is believe in people unless they've given you a lot of reason, not a little reason, a lot of reason to not believe in them. One of my friends told me once, uh, when I, uh, you know, not unintentionally, very unintentionally, not returned a call or snubbed them or did something, you know, walked past them when I was in a metal fog of trying to figure out something. And I, you know, apologized. And they said, you know, I chose not to, I know you, I chose not to take that personally. Mm-hmm. And, I've written that down. That's important, right? Not to take every slight personally. Know know the people that and know the real realness <laughs> of them. What have they always been to you? And then don't let little things uh, get in the way. Get in the way of right. their, your belief. And
0: I think that's really important right now because there's so much. Um, um, you know, just <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's so much controversy across our nation and, you know, within families and all these different things. So believing in the people around us mm. and, and don't get caught into the little, little details. Yeah. Know,
1: know you. who they really are and, yeah. and honor yeah. who they really are. Okay. Uh, beautiful. Second one is, uh you know, believe in yourself. Mm. Uh the, uh, belief in yourself is about that reaction I had to Anne telling me our glory days are over. <laughs> and, you know, and my reaction was, no, no, that, that's not what I feel. Right. And you need to believe in what you feel. You need to believe in the value of pulling threads.
0: There's so much power in that.
1: And I think the third one I'd say is believe in the power of love. Mm. Um, You know, I had an inspirational woman in my life uh, many years ago, back in my first teaching assignment. She was not, she was a woman in town who, in a very, very small town, who everybody knew. She was kind of, uh, you might call her the wealthy widow on the hill. (laughs) Can you imagine it from fiction or something like that? Right, right, exactly. Her, Her name was Van Sant Brown. She was in her early eighties and uh, she just was someone that I could go when things got a little dicey and I didn't know the background of the town, you know, why is so-and-so, you know, dislike so-and-so and and what's really going on here and how do I deal with this? And every time I go to talk to her, she'd say, well, what should I do about this? And she'd say, just loved them. Ah. uh, She at age 80, so you had one thing we were talking about earlier about what would you tell your 70-year-old self? Well, what will I tell my 80-year-old self? At 80, she drove from Missouri to New York to catch a flight with some friends to go to Amaramago. She said, because, you know, this is the, whatever they do it every five years or 10 years, she said, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make the drive when I was 90. And I thought, you know, this woman is an inspiration for my life. Exactly. Uh always looking ahead, always believing in herself. I can do these things. And, uh, so at, at 80, I hope I'm going down where I'm gonna go and, uh,
0: Going with your girlfriends
1: and, and driving. <laughs> That's right. Driving there,
0: driving going to meet there. your girlfriends and believing in the power of love. Right. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. I so appreciate your time today and sharing your stories, sharing your wisdom um this is everything that extraordinary women radio is about so thank you for being with us and joining us
1: today well thank you Kenry. it's been a real delight to get to know you i definitely hope that you not only are a friend of the road but a friend of the heart
0: absolutely i like that so much i hope so too thank you thank you i hope you like this episode of extraordinary women radio If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at cannygelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.